Radio. Fighting the Good Fight. Andrea Williams and Christian Freedom. A talk by Andrea Williams from the Christian Legal Centre. Thank you, Jim, for that warm introduction. Thank you, Your Grace, for your hospitality here uh, this afternoon. Um, Tasmania is truly a beautiful place. Um, coming in on the aeroplane, seeing this, I, it, it, it has absolutely taken my... Uh, my my breath away, and I would love to under and I long to know more. But sadly, I I fly out again uh, tomorrow morning. It's right to say that the material that I have in a sort of full set of um, full PowerPoint presentation here is about one hour and fifteen minutes <laughs> to deliver comfortably. I've been uh, given about fifteen minutes, so, so, so I've been told I have about fifteen minutes. So um, a lot of the build up to get to where we. Where I start, um, I've, I'm eliminating, so I'm sort of taking out quite a bit of the introduction. And I'm going straight to what the, the current climate is with regard to cases in our nation. First of all, a little bit about me. It's true that um, uh, I have known, I've loved the Lord Jesus since I was a little girl. Uh, I was put on the bus to go to Sunday school, aged four. And Mrs. Hibbs, my first Sunday school teacher, told me all about Jesus, and I fell in love, fell in love with him there and then. Um, I'm actually born to an Italian father and an English mother. My father is the youngest of ten. Two of my Italian aunts. My my grandfather was a very was a very devout Catholic, and one of my best childhood memories is uh, literally when I was very. I would go to Italy a month for a month every year. And it would be to get up very early in the morning. He worked on a farm, or he, had, he owned a farm at this time. And, um, and I would go and tend the animals with him. And then we would walk to the, to the, to the, to the, the church, uh, to mass. And I would be right by his, I would be by his side. It was very early. And then we'd, we'd spend, we'd stay there for several, several times on a, on a Sunday. And it's one, it was very, it was very formative for me. And he was very devout and devoted. And my father was sent to get an education by priests in the south of Italy. And, uh, he, and they gave him a wonderful education. Um, and he still to this day loves Greek and Latin and the classics. Just the best of cla- Christ- classic Christ- Christian education. And you can tell that in him now, this ongoing love of learning and really just a, a desire to, to know more. But... Um, he was set, he was supposed to become a priest. But the story is, or it's his story, and I hope I'm not being irreverent when I say this. Well, I was 16, you see. I went out into the piazza in Rome, and there I caught the eye of a pretty woman. <laughs> I was no priest. <laughs> so, um, coinciding with that in many ways, he, for that, for a time, I gave up on faith. As he left, he became a cordon bleu chef. Um, But interestingly, the whole family has really returned, has really come to faith. And and this is is wonderful. Um, This is wonderful for me. me. And I've never known a life not loving and following Jesus. And similarly, when I was eight, I watched a program on the television uh, called Crown Court. Um, And I said to my mother, when I grow up, I'm going to be a barrister. And I'm never going to change my mind. And that night, I prayed on my basil brush carpet, as I always did. And I finished my prayer, amen. And then I said, and dear Lord Jesus, if it is your will, please may I pass the 11 plus so that I can go to the grammar school, so that I can become a barrister. And I prayed that prayer every single night until the Lord granted me the desire of my heart, which was to 
I was one of two children that uh, from my district that went to the next district to the grammar school. And all through my education, I was set on going to university to become, uh, become a lawyer. And that is what I did. And so I very much feel, although I, it was my intention to become a judge and I practiced criminal and family law for eight years, it was always my intention to become a judge, perhaps a QC. Um, I feel very much that God put into my heart as a little girl um, that, to become a lawyer and actually that this ministry is what he, he knew would happen. But if you had told me at any point, and if you had told me when I was studying law, and if you had told me um, in the late 80s and early 90s when I first qualified that I would be defending people uh, I would, because they'd offered prayer in school, I would be defending nurses for gross, who were accused of gross misconduct for offering prayer to a patient, I'd have thought you were from Venus or Mars. If I had thought that I would be um, representing Catholic charities who were being uh, forced um, forced to choose uh, between the state's equality and diversity policies, which would mean that they um, have to place children into same-sex households or clothes, I would have thought that you were from Venus or Mars. But this is the kind of situation that we have very rapidly seen in the United Kingdom. But interestingly, in your Australian today... Um, you will know, of course, much more about this than me, but Jesus is not welcome in, in schoolyards. So this elimination of Jesus Christ, the myth of the, the neutral, public neutral square, that's what I want to really say. It's not neutral. neutral. Secularism isn't neutral. And one of our mistakes, no, I say one of our mistakes, one of the things that we've done in contending, and I've, I qualified in 1988, so we're 30 years down the track and 20 years pretty much full-time in this arena, Christian freedom cases in the United Kingdom, some of them lasting six or eight years. Remember at the very beginning, um, lots of people saying you shouldn't take this case, it's hopeless, but I think I'm saying it's a matter of justice, sometimes not always going, going by faith day by day, certainly when at the beginning of the century, not knowing where these cases would end, knowing that the laws were increasingly against us, but that we had to contend for freedom and continue to make the arguments um, that one of the um, one of the things that we have to deal with as as Christians is to understand that we must contend for our worldview in the public space because actually this we we have slightly bought into the religious freedom argument, the principal plurality argument, which means that uh, all faiths are somehow equal, can take an equal space in the public square, that everything is equally as kind that it gives way in the same way, well, that isn't the case. Because what you'll see is that practical atheism, which is secularism, leads to Jesus being eliminated from the school curriculum. So where schools once delivered education, they get handed across to the state. The state then poses what they call a something that is neutral, but is not neutral. It imposes their worldview, and then it coerces their worldview, and then you get punished if you don't promote the worldview. And it's the job of the church. And this is, again, something I've learned. I sort of thought, well, the church is very busy. I'll get on with my job being, being a lawyer. And, but the church is very busy. Um, so I'll, I'll leave them to it. And there's a sense in which what we needed was um, the, the archbishops and the church leaders, priests, 
and church leaders everywhere to really speak up where truth was under attack. And truth is under attack and being made in the image of God, Genesis 1, being made in the image of God, God's blueprint for marriage, a man and a woman in a lifelong union, and also then on the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, the word present at the beginning of creation. And just moving to the next page the, where this article finishes, I think this is a warning of what is to come. Jesus gets taken out. Yes, this is, this is the... Jesus not welcoming yards. But here you see the hijab uh, in the, on, the, on the school playing field. Because the secular neutral square will make space for the hijab. But it will not make space for the girl that wants to wear the purity ring. So in a school, we've got a case of Lydia Playfoot. They told her to remove her purity ring. Um, this is one of our, old, our older cases. They said it was not a, an expression of faith. It was not a manifestation of faith. They said that the hijab was, the secret car bracelet was, this was in the school, a school in Crawley, but that her, um, her purity ring was not. They put it into isolation for a week um, during playtimes, during break times. This is a school that hands out condoms, gives, gives out morning after pills, but they did not want her purity ring. And this is, again, the inconsistency of the public space. This was a case that we then, this had a huge media profile um, at the time. So to, this key to really um, understanding that um, the gospel is, is public, it, it's, it's public theology, really. And this is where I've come, this is where I've come to after 30 years of contending where I have, in a sense, as a, in resist, resisting bad laws, uh, resist it, um, seeking to defend Christians who are in trouble, um, but really to see that our place as the church is to be very public about it. And when the lights get dimmed, when the church isn't clear, um, then nations actually go dim. The anti-life legislation, I'm going to just very uh, quickly do this through um, what's happened in the last 50 years, but certainly in the last 20 to 30 years that I've been on it. 1967, you're breaking... Um, thou shalt not kill, commandment thou shalt not kill, abortion act. Now in the United Kingdom, nine and a half million abortions. That's one seventh of our population since the passing of the, the act. Uh, then test tube babies, so you're divorcing, uh, fertility treatments, divorcing um, pro procreation from the act of, of physical union between one man and one woman. Cloning, you go from taking a life to being able to make a life to being able to fake a life cloning. Adoption Act, which means now that same-sex couples can adopt, as well as couples that are married um, or cohabiting, male and female cohabiting, to the, uh, you then get an Act of 2008, which allows for animal-human hybrid embryos. That's the mixing of animal eggs with human sperm. The anti-family legislation. You have the Sexual Offences Act, homosexuality decriminalised. This, again, the laws loosening with regard to uh, divorce, so you have essentially a no-fault divorce, and the church generally not holding marriage um, very strongly in the public space, and then you get the kind of the redefining of terms, and you get partner being put into the language, and then what you begin to when you begin to get husband and wife being put into the lang language again, it's no longer husband and wife, it's husband and husband, and wife and wife. You're you've made such a mess of marriage. We're now gonna we're gonna claim it. We're going to claim it as representing who we are. Also laws that say you cannot discriminate on the grounds of sexual orientation. 
What does that do? It's not about rights, which is how it's always presented. It's my rights to, to love. It's my rights to the law. It's actually a wholesale redefining of family. So now, actually, in British law, in English law, what you have uh, protected as a family unit is a man and woman cohabiting, a man and a man, a woman and a woman. All of those units um, are viewed as equivalent in English law, and you can have a family either in, in any of those units by way of adoption, fostering, or surrogacy, IVF, because now it's possible to create a family because the fertility, fertility medicine uh, enables you to do that. Civil unions very quickly became same-sex marriage. And I know that you have civil unions in this nation, but I'm, my plea to you today, and my plea to the church, is to be very vocal and visible from now on this issue, as I know you have been. And I'm very, very grateful that you're, in fact, that your archbishops here are much stronger than ours were in the United Kingdom. And can I really exhort you to continue uh, to do that? What you get is to a situation where, where everyone gets kowtowed. So our Conservative Prime Minister said, so I don't support gay marriage despite being a Conservative. I support gay marriage because I'm a Conservative. But more concerning is our Archbishop of Canterbury, who presents as an evangelical. But he says it's clearly essential that stable and faithful same-sex relationships should, where those involved want it, be recognised and supported with as much dignity and the same legal effect as marriage. Now, what this sends out to, um, to the population at large is that the church is not clear on what marriage is. And when the church doesn't sound a clear voice on actually what sin is, that we're all sexually flawed, and that the God's, God's purpose for marriage is for, is for sexual expression is for one place only, one man and one woman united for life. And when we're not speaking that clearly, that's a, that's a public truth. Because actually that truth rescues families, it rescues marriages, it rescues families, and it rescues community. And it's good for society. And it's, and it's the building block upon which society is built. Furthermore, it points to the gospel. Jesus, the bridegroom, coming for his bride, the church. And if we eliminate that from the public space, we eliminate the gospel. It's a first order issue. And the church... Needs to, grasp, needs to grasp this. Now, I know that I'm in a church. I, know, I can feel the vibrancy. This is the thing I, I said, didn't I, to you? I just love the feeling of vitality as I walk through the doors here and I hear the children outside. And there's something very special I know about this place. And may the Lord really prosper you to speak and to be a bold witness here in Tasmania and beyond. We know the consequences for children not brought up uh, in, 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 in a family unit. Um, 70% more, 5% more likely to fail at school. But look at the cost of the state in Great Britain, 48 billion. So the not standing for marriage costs the state this much. It's a really, this, this idea that you know, Christianity, God's way, Jesus Christ is Lord, his blueprint for living, his Genesis blueprint for living, is actually good for society because this is the financial consequence. It's good for the state. What happens when you... So now I'm going to just run you through some of my cases. This is a doctor um, who actually helped women to keep their babies rather than have them aborted. Um, they didn't complain. They were really pleased to have had their children, but her partners in the practice complained, and um, she was threatened with removal of her licence. We managed to keep her licence. 
pictures of aborted babies, 10-week-old uh, babies in the public space. Um, they were arrested, thrown into cells, DNA taken. I had to go and get them out of cells. They were held across the weekend. The trial took 18 months to come to uh, to come. Um, they were caused with causing harassment, alarm, and distress. They were acquitted because the pictures are real. Um, but the reality is that these pictures do cause alarm and distress because abortion protests itself. And again, there's a sense in which if we do not speak out on behalf of the unborn, um, if we do not speak out about the reality of it, then who will? And God only has his people. And I have to say that it has been the Catholic Church, also in Great Britain, that has been more vigorous on this than, than the Protestant Church or than the Free Church, of which I am part. Babies um, filmed, it was filmed on camera, doctors offering to abort babies just because they're female. The Crown Prosecution Service said there was a prima facie case, but that it was not in the public interest to, to prosecute the doctors. When we sought to bring a case, we were told that we would be handed the full video footage because that's how we would need to present it in court. We were told by the police and then by the Crown Prosecutor. They then withheld it. So we made an application to court for the journalist to be subpoenaed to court. And that was resisted, and we lost it. The judge then invited um, the, the doctors to make a costs application um, against us. And they did this, and we were landed with a costs application of £47,000. The judge was an activist judge. The earlier judge had been more in our favour. We then, he was then exchanged for another one who came against us. They said that this young woman was a straw man for the Christian Legal Centre. They said the Christian Legal Centre was an activist organisation. Um, and that uh, we should pay £47,000 for seeking to bring the doctors um, to justice. Ashley Hubert is no straw man in that she um, cares passionately um, about the lives of unborn baby girls. This is one of our cases, Gary McFarlane. This case took about five years um, to, to, to come to, to its end. But he was a, a lawyer who then became a marriage counsellor. <coughs> And he was doing a course to become a sex therapist. And he said, he said during this course that he might have issues with giving sex therapy to a same-sex couple. That's what he said to two men. And as a result of that, he was dismissed for gross misconduct by Relate, his, the, the counselling body. Uh, they said that... Um, so it wasn't just that he failed the course, so that he wasn't allowed to give, do sex therapy. They actually removed him from his position as a marriage counsellor. And we had many, tens of testimonies of how he had helped couples to save their marriages. And yet he was removed from the institution. The reason why I'm telling you about this case is that I want to show to you what happens when the elites don't love God, when the light goes out. So Lord Justice Laws, so one of our highest judges in the land, says this. Judeo-Christian tradition stretching over many centuries has no doubt exerted a profound influence upon the judgment of lawmakers as to the objective merits of this or that social policy, etc. Um, but the conferment of any legal protection or preference upon a particular substantive moral position on the ground only that it is espoused by the adherents of Christianity, however long its tradition, remember our laws are rooted in Christianity, both in Britain, dating right back to the Magna Carta, and here. However long its tradition, however rich its culture, it's deeply unprincipled. 
It imposes compulsory law not to advance the general good on objective grounds, that's radical atheism, that's secularism, um, but to give effect to the force of subjective opinion, because that's what faith Christianity is. No, Christianity is public truth. It's either true or it's false. There are, there's one truth to contend for in public life. You're either for the truth, the word of God, or not. Uh, it impulses compulsory law not to advance the general good on objective grounds. This must be so, since in the eye of everyone save the believer, religious faith is necessarily subjective, being incommunicable by any kind of proof or evidence. It may, of course, be true, but the ascertainment of such a truth lies beyond the means by which laws are made in a reasonable society. Therefore, it lies only in the heart of the believer who is alone bound by it. No one else is or can be so bound, unless by his own free choice he accepts its claims. This is a complete rewriting of our history, of, what, of our common law, our common law, which is our Christian law, our biblical law, of everything that our common law foundations have been premised upon. The promulgation of law for the particular position is irrational as preferring the subjective over the objective, but it is also, this Christianity is divisive, capricious, and arbitrary. We do not live in a society where all the people share uniform religious beliefs. The precepts of any one religion, any belief system, cannot, by force of their religious origins, sound any law louder in the general law than the precepts of any other. So we'll have Islam then. So we'll have radical atheism then, that actually redefines, um, at the signing of a bill, what marriage is, but it can't redefine that. It can put it in a statute, an English statute, but it can't actually define it in God's terms. And that's where we need the voice of the church to be countercultural. And, um, and it's only the church that uh, can... The government's submission, we took the case to Europe, so we lost at the Court of Appeal, and then the government's submission, so this was David Cameron at the time, his submission, and the Attorney General's submission. As in the other cases, the applicants were free to resign if they considered that the requirements of their employment were incompatible with their religious beliefs. So Christian, your freedom to be a Christian in the public space is your freedom to resign, was basically where our government had got to. Um, the next slide, which I obviously put in there, was we went to the European Court of Human Rights and it took an ex-communist Polish judge to say that believing in marriage between a man and woman was a religious, was a manifestation of faith. So we've got that now in good jurisprudence. It took us five years to get there. And can I say that this is, this is what is beginning to happen in your country? And what we need is for people, when these cases happen, we need for the church to speak out very loudly and very clearly. And there will, people, there will, all be, there will be sorts of whisperings about the type of case, whether it's wise to take it. Um, well, I used to get nervous when people used to level those sorts of questions at me because this hadn't been done before. But we were doing these cases, yes, as lawyers, yes, using all our legal skills, but we were also doing it by faith. Um, in the bed and breakfast case um, Baroness Hale said that sexual orientation is a core component of, the pers of a person's identity which requires fulfilment through relationships with others of the same orientation so do you now see that again now the chief judge in our land Baroness Hale has defined in law sexual orientation as equivalent to your gender as equivalent to the colour of your skin and then you get bills in Parliament to prohibit so-called gay, gay conversion therapy because um, it becomes folklore 
that you are born gay. You can't change. Whereas actually, of course, the Christian message is that we can all change. We come to Jesus as we are, sinners, but he doesn't leave us where we are. We are that's the great hope of the gospel. And that's the great hope for all of us that are lost in sin. That he would transform and change. And so therefore, this is again goes to the very, it's an attack on that message at the heart of the gospel, which is that we're all sinners and that we can change. And so the case that Jim talked about, this is Eunice and Owen John, look how lovely they are. They've successfully fostered many children. Um, again, another case that took about five years. Um, and then, but they said that because they fostered children aged between eight and ten, um, and they were told, they said they would not, they would not be able to promote homosexuality to children in their care. Um, eight to ten. And as a result of this, they said, it said that they breached the equality and diversity policy and were no longer fit to be foster carers. And this is what the Equalities and Human Rights Commission said. In addition to the harm that it may cause children in their care, approving foster carers who express antipathy, objection, or disapproval of homosexuality in same-sex relationships militates against the promotion of sexual orientation equality more generally, providing state sanction as it would to views Christianity that are inimicable to such equality. This is in conflict with the aspirations of anti-discrimination. I know you've got all the anti-discrimination laws here at the moment, haven't you? Um, well, speak loud. Speak very loud and clear on those and take them on. Go on the offensive. This is, this is, we've now got to go on the offensive. And you can go on, you've gone on the offensive because you've seen what happens by our example. And you've got, we've got the cases. You can bring over our cases. I mean, you can literally get people to give evidence on this. Uh, this is in conflict with the aspiration of anti-discrimination human rights law and carries the real risk that a child in the care of Eunice and Owen Johns will become infected with your views, Christian. Your views, your grace, are an infection. This is, and this is what senior law lords are saying. Teachers lose their job um, when a gay colleague said, does God approve of my gay marriage? God loves you. God loves your partner, but he doesn't approve of your gay marriage. Sacked for gross misconduct on the spot. Uh, we did actually get this one's job back. A social worker student, so imagine someone in the University of Tasmania, just down the road, on a social work course, and he expresses a view for marriage and for protection of freedom of speech, removed from the social work course after being reported by a fellow student for what he posted on a Facebook post. Reported to the tutor, and the tutor said this person would not be fit to practice as a social worker. The Bush Association for Counseling and Therapy then says we ban or all reparative therapy, all conversion therapy. Very experienced counsellors then get removed from the list because they are they actually help people who choose, who who want to come to them to move away from wrong sexual addictions. They want to save their marriages. They don't want to be in a homosexual lifestyle. Our conference, one man, one woman, making the case for marriage for the good of the society, banned from the law society, banned from a government building. A Pentecostal minister volunteered in a prison chapel where he worked as a gardener. A prisoner, a transsexual prisoner, complained about him, uh, saying he breached the equality and diversity policy. And as a result of that, um, he was forced, uh, lost his job. Civil registrars who refuse to preside over same-sex civil partnerships lose their jobs. Paediatricians lose their jobs because they won't place children 
into same-sex households. Politicians lose their job and are removed from the parties. The, our Deputy Prime Minister at the time said, my sense is that when same-sex marriage becomes law, it will all become very normal. Well, it does. Safe schools, yeah? So this is, this is what becomes recommended reading on the curriculum. The school out there, is that a Catholic school? Just the, the one that's... No, it's not. You, I think you have a lot of schools in this country. Please keep them Catholic. Please keep them Christian. Please keep your ethos strong. Please keep your... And please say the state to get the state, get out. You're not going to deliver our sex education. Because actually what you have here... I'm sorry, I don't mean to sound rude when I'm saying this, but when I speak like that, but I know that you will say it more nicely than I have just done. But actually what, what happens here is that this is what becomes recommended reading. This is for children aged seven and eight. This is how are our children meant they get a proper it's it's so, it's propaganda. It's not even soft propaganda, it's hard propaganda. And they then don't know how know how they're not kept safe. Schools become unsafe. Because they're no longer, they're no longer protected. They shouldn't even be having to think about these things. I would have had no concept about almost any of this. I, I was, I used to kind of keep. I was, as you know, I, was, I wanted to be a barrister. I was very so all, all, all my life. I was, I was like this. I knew nothing, and so I was so much the better for it. And the idea that my children are, are being, my four children are all have all been exposed to this. They don't know how children don't know how to think differently. This, this is the new normal. London Gay Pride, children uh, schools now sponsoring gay pride, children having to pay a pound and dress in rainbow colours. That's our state school system. Very difficult for children to resist that. They don't even know how to resist. That's the new normal. But immediately same-sex marriage takes place. We then get trans transsexuality. My princess boy, again, um, we're at uh, pr uh, primary school level, his dad tells my princess boy how pretty he looks in a dress. His dad holds his hand and tells him to twirl. So we've got now got uh, uh, cases where children want to identify in the opposite gender. We've got a 14-year-old child whose parents are Christian, went to school. At school, she's known as a boy. She's known as Johnny. The parents call, call her Jane. She ran away from home for an hour or two. Social services knock on the door. Unless you call Jane Johnny, we uh, this is this is abuse. You've got to call Jane Johnny, and unless you do, we're going to um, we're going to remove your child. Six-year-olds now identify. We have three cases of six-year-olds currently. We have two hundred case inquiries at the Christian Legal Centre, two hundred a year, and three of our cases at the moment are of six-year where six-year-olds are identifying in the opposite gender. These are Church of England schools, and every one of the schools with the consent of the bishop, have supported the, the family where the child is transgendering at six. So little boys are wearing girls' dresses. And the whole of the school conforms. It's corporate delusion. And all furthermore, what you have, we cannot find help in the medical profession to help these children live in the gender they're born. And the, and the kind of thing that we're seeing, sorry, with this is puberty suppressants, double mastectomies of children, of children before they're 18 to go to university in the opposite gender, chemical castration. It's, it is shocking, but you've got the blindness of the medical industry, you've got the blindness of the legal industry, you've got the blindness of the elites. It's spiritual blindness. They do not know. So again, it's actually about 
the, the proclamation of the only truth that can penetrate through the spiritual blindness, which is the gospel itself, which is the power to change and transform, and the truth of the gospel. And this is where you, the church, and you in this place, and you in this place in Tasmania with half a million people, you can be the beacon in the hill. This from this place, light can emanate, and this, this land, this state, can be changed for the good of the gospel, and Jesus can be good news and king of your culture. And if he isn't king of your culture, then this is what will happen to you. But I know that it, this place is small enough and kind of remote enough. Forgive me if you, you're far away. In a most magnificent place that can actually have the most extraordinary impact because you have, forgive me, I haven't got all my numbers right, 12 senators at federal level. That's extraordinary. You have a number of, the number of MPs you have is relatively small, something like 30, 32? 25. 20, 25, 25, and then plus another... 40 people. Well, we should, that should be full of Christians. It should be completely doable. Remembering that the answer isn't always, it's not in pol- always in politics, it's not always in law, it's actually about the whole transformation of culture. It's about the, holding on to our schools. I mean, if we hold on to our schools, we'll hold on to everything else. If we train the little children, we'll hold on to everything else. That, that's where the cult, that, that's important. Now let's, let, business, make sure that our businessmen are Christian, philanthropic, but, and not buying into Qantas's broken ring. I'm sure that Lydia wouldn't have been put in uh, isolation if she, could have, if she was wearing the broken ring. Street preachers arrested, part, uh, parts of the Bible um, viewed as uh, not um, amounting to a public order act offence. Actually, parts of the Bible not permissible. I know I, this, is, this is my Lydia. Look at her. Isn't she beautiful? Nursery teachers told to stop singing songs about Jesus before giving the tea and biscuits to children, otherwise they'll lose their grant. Remove your Facebook teach, post to teacher, otherwise you'll lose your position. Don't pray, nurse. Don't speak about Jesus, teacher. Remove your cross from a van, electrician. It might offend the Muslims. Don't talk about Jesus, Dr. Scott. You must work on a Sunday. We will compel you to work on a Sunday. The cross is not a Christian symbol. The only effective response is a church that is strong, the church that knows the power of the gospel. And I, and I do sense when I come, when I've walked into this place, and what I've had to, what I felt today, just walking in through these doors, and sensing what is here, the unity that's amongst you here. Um, you know, from we have ACL, we have Family Voice, we have um, this this great this this great place um, that together. Um, the truth of Jesus Christ and everything that flows from him um, can remain light, light and bright here in Tasmania. And I do pray that it is so and that that will have an impact on the whole of Australia. And I believe that if Australia stands, if Australia stands on same-sex marriage, um, I, I, I believe that will send a huge signal back to the rest of the Western world. Thank you for your time. <laughs> That was Andrew Williams with Fighting the Good Fight. To find out more about Christian Concern and the Christian Legal Centre, visit christianconcern.com. And for more talks, interviews and shows, visit cradio.org.au.